0: Hey everyone, welcome to More Than Work this week. If it's your first time here, thanks for checking it out. And if you've been here before, thanks for coming back. I am so excited about a couple things that are going on. One, I don't know how many of you that listen are on Clubhouse, but I have a More Than Work club on Clubhouse. It's an app that's iOS only right now, but it'll open up to Android soon. So definitely find More Than Work on Clubhouse and... You can find me at the name Robbie SC also. But uh, it's a lot of fun, and I'm starting to do like live recordings there, and I'm starting to do Q&As there, so I have a few coming up. But if you want to kind of be behind the scenes and listen to the recording happen live on Clubhouse, you can start doing that. I have a schedule for the rooms there, and I should put it the schedule on my website soon. Um, also... If you happen to be in the UK and listening, I'm going to be starting to do some shows for the upcoming Brighton and Camden Fringe Festival, so you can definitely find that on my website, com. and if you're not, but you want to see some of my comedy, because in addition to the podcast and work, I do comedy, as you've probably heard me mention on the show, it's kind of like being vegan, I always bring it up in a conversation. Um, I'm not vegan, but I'm a comic, and that's what I mean, but a lot of times vegans bring up being vegan, if you know that joke, Uh, or people who don't eat gluten bring that up, which I do bring that up quite a bit. (laughs) So um, anyway, I'll be doing some previews of my show on Zoom as well. So just kind of, if you want to keep track of any of that stuff, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, or you can just find recordings. But let's talk about this week's guest, and that's the other thing I'm really excited about. Her name is Lucia Nunez, and she was on the Biden inaugural committee And she worked on the Biden campaign and she's a political operative and really just such an enthusiastic person and so spirited about what she does. But I actually attended a class she did during National Day of Service, like during that weekend leading up to Martin Luther King Jr. Day that the Biden inaugural committee put on about equity. And it was part of their diversity and inclusion efforts and I really learned a lot and I took away a lot from that that will kind of stick with me as I continue to pursue service and serving others but what was really cool besides the fact that the curriculum was wonderful and so insightful is that Lucia created that curriculum in conjunction with other people I'm sure on the committee and delivered it along with some other people and I followed her on Twitter afterwards and ended up dming her and just asked her if she would do the podcast and she said yes i couldn't believe it because i'm really trying to get a variety of guests on here and it it just to me it was fantastic to get someone that is so young and enthusiastic about what they're doing and really knows their purpose and also for me is like stands for causes that i stand for This is going to be in big contrast to an interview I have coming up that was really difficult for me where it was actually uh, with someone who I have very divergent views from. And I, to that end, want to warn people because this isn't a political podcast. This is really a podcast about people finding their purpose and finding meaning outside of their work and also finding meaningful work. And for Lucia, that happens to be working as a political operative for the Democratic Party. Now, it is possible that someone listening may be offended by just even discussing Democratic politics. If you are, and if you don't want to listen, I completely understand and I encourage you to find other episodes and to come back because the intention of this podcast is not to be political, but the guest happens to be involved in politics. And I just want to let people know that up front. So just to show respect for listeners who you know may not agree with some of what's said and I just want you to know that this is an episode that I'm very very excited about but I also respect that it might not excite everybody. For those of you who are ready you're gonna hear an ad and this might be one of the last ads you hear because I am gonna switch hosts and then we'll start the podcast and if I did switch hosts by the time you hear this then you won't hear the ad so I probably didn't need to mention that, but anyway, here we go. Thank you. Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. All right, everyone. Well, I am really, really excited because I actually attended a training that my next guest did on the National Day of Service this year, which was also Martin Luther King Day. And it was really cool. It was part of the Biden inauguration team and what they were doing for that day. And I'm really glad that she agreed to be on the podcast. So I have political operative Lucia Nunez. How are you, Lucia?
1: Hi, Rabia. I'm doing so great. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'm doing well.
0: Good, good. And I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. So at least we'll have good energy during this, right? During this, <laughs> at least, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you just want to, I said you're a political operative, but do you want to just say, kind of introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners?
1: Yes. I have been a campaign staffer on Democratic campaigns the last, you know, five-ish years. I've worked at a couple of Democratic consulting firms. And so I'm kind of a campaign nomad. I've just been moving around the country, working on various competitive um campaigns the biden harris presidential campaign congressional campaigns the mayoral campaign um it's it's been an amazing career i'm i'm so happy to have been doing this
0: oh that's awesome yeah and i'm a person who's like volunteered a lot but not not ever actually officially worked on a campaign so
1: god bless you (laughs) (laughs) yeah we love volunteers
0: that's good um So like, what led you into the world of politics? And like, is that something you always wanted to do? You know, when you were in school and everything?
1: I didn't necessarily expect to be doing this when I was in like middle school and high school, I kind of thought I would go into nonprofits. But in college, I became a very angry feminist. Um, Hmm. I should say now I'm Latina. And so a lot of little things I experienced growing up. I didn't even realize that they were microaggressions until I joined a social justice affinity group in college. It was called Cafe Con Leche at my school. Mm. And I heard about other people's experience. And I was like, oh, I thought that I was just, you know, kind of an awkward person sometimes. And and I, in college, being part of those groups, taking the classes that I took, it really allowed me to gain the perspective that all of these issues are connected. And like little comments that people make about like, Mexicans and illegal immigrants, those, their words, not mine, by the way, Mm -hmm. that is tied to, you know, tax policy, it's tied to like education, it's tied to reproductive justice. And so by the end of college, I was just so angry about everything. And I just wanted to tear it up and raise hell in American politics. And so I did what a lot of people in that position do. And I moved to DC mm-hmm. and I was lucky to get an internship that was a little bit paid, but it didn't pay a lot. And so I actually worked as a Segway tour guide to like pay my rent and bills a, a, 10 out of 10 recommend that as a side job. If you need, if you need a side job and you're in DC, I don't know if they're hiring a lot during a pandemic, but it was, it was so fun. And so from there, you know, I got a big girl job and then I, All my mentors in D.C. were telling me, like, if you want to be good at this stuff and make an impact long term, you need to work on campaigns and you need to learn, like, what moves people and how to, like, win hearts and minds. And so that's how I ended up in campaigns. And then I just couldn't stop. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we thought in 2016 Hillary was going to win. Of course, that's not a hot take. And then all of a sudden it was about flipping the house. It was about winning the 2020 election. So, it's been so exciting.
0: Yeah, and so busy, right? I mean, yeah. really busy. That's <laughs> yeah. funny. Segway tours. Um, this is totally an aside, but I was going to go on a Segway <sighs> tour with my best friend from growing up in oh Minnesota, gosh. right? So, we're in the parking lot in the training part and I fall and like, oh no, totally dislocate my knee. <laughs> oh. <Ow. laughs> and I was like, uh, so I'm really impressed by you now just because you were able to, as a job, ride a cycle <laughs> every day. And I couldn't even like go through training. So.
1: That is, I'm so sorry that you fell. <laughs>
0: that's that crazy. is, uh,
1: when I interviewed for the job, I was very afraid of falling. <laughs> and I, I saw a couple people take a fall. Um, yeah. Once you get off balance, it's like, shoot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess it was better in the parking Ow. lot, but um, Aww. that's a cool job. And. Yeah, I I don't know the whole DC touring thing. That's awesome. Where were you from at that before? I mean, you went in California, right? Or
1: Well, okay. So, I my we moved around a lot like growing mm-hmm. up because of like my dad was in the military and then like my parents jobs. But right now kind of Colorado and California are my main two homes. I've spent you know, maybe like almost half of my childhood in Colorado and then I, I went to school in California. I went okay. to college there and then I worked on two campaigns there. So I've spent actually equal time. So I'm kind of, kind of like a dual citizen of Colorado yeah. and California, but, um, I had only been to DC for like, you know, like a school trip type situation mm-hmm. until I moved there. The, the monuments are just magical and being a Segway tour guide is so fun because people come in from all over the country, from different countries. We take them on these tours. They're so excited to just be in the capital. And they're excited to hear the stories and everybody has like a different highlight of the tour for them. You know, for some people it's like a memorial from something that a family member served in for, for some of them it's, you know, like the white house or the national, you know, some random monument or part of the city that like that just like speaks to them and like what they think of our country. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was really a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. And it's a, it's a beautiful city. Mm -hmm. Um, too so that's really cool so then like recently one of my friends was a guest on the podcast which ends up being a lot of my friends right now but he got into city council uh in the last year and he said it really made him realize that all politics are local and i know you've worked on various campaigns i mean of course the biden one is the big one because that's the presidential but also local ones how do you feel about that statement like have you found that to be true all politics are local
1: Okay, for me, yes and no, but kind of no in a way, and I'll tell you why. But first I'll tell you the the yes part. Mm-hmm. I agree with your friend in that everybody's lived experiences and their local community affects their political views and behaviors, you know? If people around them are voting, how people think about elected officials, how people feel about government and the role of government, and literally their lived experiences, mm-hmm. like privileges, oppressions that they've experienced. So in that regard, yes. And in the regard of like, if you want to win, you have to organize at the local level. Absolutely. However, I found that for the stuff that I worked on, I mostly worked in federal politics, mm. right? Presidential and and congressional. And for me, it kind of feels like everything gets to be national. And in a congressional campaign, you might think that it's about the local community, but Congressional campaigns do encourage people to think at the national level, because that's that's the impact that the Congress member can make. Mm-hmm. I felt I was working for a Democratic member of Congress in 2016, trying to defend that seat. It was one of the most competitive seats that we were trying to defend. We were successful, luckily. But for a lot of people, it was about Trump more so than the Democrat versus the Republican at the local level. Because these national politics it's a hot issue it stirs up a lot of feelings in people and so you know the reason i took the job was because i wanted to work against trump and mm-hmm. and a lot of the volunteers who we had they felt the same and sometimes individual things about the people rather than just the overall parties are important to people as they should be there are republican incumbent um i know our republican opponent had done some really really bad stuff that people absolutely should care about but You know, right after that, in 2018, I was working in a swing district, another place in California that we were trying to flip, that a Republican had office. For that, you would not believe the extent to which it was about Trump. You know, we, in a couple months, in the summer of 2018, we registered like 5,000 voters, which is a lot for a congressional district. And we didn't really do it by saying, we have this great Democrat, let me tell you all about him we would go you know, outside of Walmarts and to college campuses and we'd say, can you help me defeat Trump? And they'd be like, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And then we would make the case that if you want to defeat Trump, you have to vote for the Democrat for Congress because we have a Republican in Congress right now who is a rubber stamp of Trump and who voted to take away the ACA. Mm-hmm. And we have a Democrat whose vision is the opposite of that. And so for for the work I've been doing, a lot of it has been, you know, impacted by how people think of a lot of things nationally.
0: Interesting. So, yeah,
1: yeah. which not, it's not, that's not saying that all politics aren't local like they are, but then there's also this national thing affects everything and things that we talk about in the news at the national level, local candidates running for, you know, even city council get asked about that stuff, even Mm -hmm. if they don't necessarily have a lot that they could even do about it because people just care so much as they should when absolutely terrible things are happening
0: hmm. Yeah. And that's interesting. And I mean, he talked a lot about um, just in their town, like defund the police isn't an option because they only have like five police officers, right?
1: So, right. you
0: know, but it's yeah. an important issue to him. Yeah. And to people, but then they were doing stuff like hiring a social worker, part time, that was something they were adding that they didn't mm-hmm. have before. So it was kind of cool to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, what district were you working in, in California? I worked in
1: district seven, and then district 10.
0: Okay. And so I was volunteering in 25, which was another Oh, cool. Yeah, like, well, in 2016 and
1: 2018,
0: and not this year, or last year. Oh, cool. So do you have aspirations to hold office? I don't
1: actually. I don't. I, I see myself working in like, you know, the government or like major democratic organizations, like the party or Planned Parenthood not really office myself. You know, I'm trying mm-hmm. not to do anything terrible that would preclude me from being elected. Um, but that's not the vision right now.
0: Yeah, you feel like you're making an impact in the positions you're taking. That's,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I moved around so much that I would, I would maybe be like a carpetbagger wherever I went, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like other people should maybe hold those seats who are from, you know, those communities.
0: Yeah. And know the, know the community, not just come mm-hmm. in and say, Oh, I'm running here because this is yeah. Where I yeah. think I can win. Yeah. Yeah. So your career is really unique in that you're not at a nine to five and you're not always like planning to be somewhere for 20 years or something like <laughs> in some careers, cause you really yeah. can't. I mean, I guess if you worked for a certain Congress people, maybe you could, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, And you haven't just been living somewhere for years. So can you talk about the nature of working on campaigns from like the travel to just the temporary nature of it?
1: Yeah, it is a wild ride. It really is. It's it's very intense. The the standard work week is about 80 hour weeks for Mm. campaigns like it is it is wild. You're working evenings and weekends, particularly if you work in field, because that's when volunteers are available, because you have stuff to do from nine to five. And then outside of nine to five, volunteers are available. And so you're running volunteer events, calling volunteers. Um, It's very intense, not just hour wise, and like at times physically, but emotionally, too, because it's something that most staffers feel Mm -hmm. very personally about. And a lot of people feel a high level of accountability to doing a really good job because it's an election with high stakes. So that's One thing. And then another, like you said, is moving. A lot of people move to work on campaigns. Campaigns usually try to hire local folks as well, but usually that's supplemented by people who move. And I have been people who move a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. And the beautiful thing about it is you kind of have this team of a bunch of often young people who are moving around the country for this exciting work, and nobody really knows anybody else, and you're at work all the time. And so the people who you work with, they kind of become your family and your Mm -hmm. best friends. And my best friends, most of my best friends are people who I met working on a campaign. We're there all the time. You know, we understand each other. I've traveled with my campaign friends, you know, internationally, people even date co workers who they met. I know so many people who met because of campaigns who are now engaged, or, you know, married. And so the the shared experience really is magnified by the intensity of the situation. So that's a really a fun part about it. Um, y- another thing about it, you know, the work ends when the election ends, and so mm-hmm. you're always job searching. I'm job searching right now, and I don't know if some of your listeners might be job searching, but I some of some of the wisdom that I've found for myself for anybody job searching is that you have to have like other things going on in your life. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I've been like, trying to like, I've just been upping the amount of like, new recipes that I'm trying out and new workouts that I'm trying out and catching up with friends, like you have to have other things going on to survive it mentally. And it can be a little bit of a roller coaster, the job search itself, because you know, one day you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, I'm so amazing. I'm going to get all the jobs. I'm going to be a superstar. You wake up another day and you're like, oh my God, nobody's going to hire me. What have <laughs> <Yeah>. I done? <laughs> what am I doing? And so it really, it really is like, it's a, it's an emotional, it's an emotional roller coaster. The other thing I want to say about campaigns ending early is that it's kind of an equity issue. Campaigns are not that accessible of a career to pursue mm-hmm. because you're going to be out of a job in four months. And so if you need work, if you need a paycheck, then that's a big risk to take. And so it's easier for people to pursue this career if they have a little bit of a financial cushion, if you Mm -hmm. can live with your parents, if you have a lot of savings, and that is tied to all other equity issues. And you know, every time people hire, because campaigns are often such a small organization that that pops up and ends campaigns don't always have very intentional hiring practices. And so, you know, one of the biases that can happen is because of implicit bias, a lot of us tend to hire people who are like us. I say us yeah. as people, uh, this is something that campaigns are definitely working on some more than others, but campaigns do have a bad reputation that, that is true in some cases for sometimes having kind of a bro culture. And uh, I have,
0: yeah.
1: it's, it's, it's kind of a problem. It, And it's, you wouldn't, in some ways, it's like some people would expect that because it's politics and old boys club. But you know, some people wouldn't because it's Democrats. And this is something that's very actively changing. And thanks to the public for caring so much about representation and diversity, campaigns are held more accountable for having more diverse staff and, you know, more local staff. So that's one of the kind of interesting things that happens because of the nature of the work. Um, I'm making this career. I don't know if I'm making it sound like hell, but it's, it's really exciting. It'll delight you. It'll dazzle you. It'll nurture you, but it'll also tear you apart if you let it, you know, and it's so, it's so intense. I think I've cried in front of every single one of my bosses, like who among us hasn't, right?
0: No, I mean, that's (laughs) true. And I, I know they, I, there was some movie or something like where, or whatever, it's been an idea, like never cry at work. And I just think,
1: no cry at you should do it yeah
0: you shouldn't always cry at work like maybe no yeah you know, don't every day but like sometimes <laughs> that's an emotional that's a response you're having it's a physical it's your physiology like it is. you've gotten to the point where you're crying well that's all right you know yeah. if someone doesn't get it then it's kind of like well what's wrong with you and why don't you cry maybe yeah <laughs> you know no
1: it's we're we are human uh, one of the good things that is happening is, like I said, campaigns are changing in terms of hiring and people being more intentional about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this year was the first year that the Democratic campaign in the general election had like actual diversity equity and inclusion trainings. We had them mm-hmm. for staff. Every single staff member was required to do this training on all the coordinated campaigns. Every manager was trained on equitable management practices and volunteers not you know you can't make volunteers take this training but volunteers had the opportunity to attend trainings as well so that's one good thing another good thing that's happening is the the lifestyle is slowly starting to change mm-hmm. I, I mean at least in some levels in some campaigns it's not you know right. but over time i think campaign staffers are getting paid more now than they were 10 years ago for one and now campaign workers at the most junior level are starting to organize and form unions, and oh, that had oh. it's great it, because we're talking about an ADR week versus a fifty-five hour work week,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and campaign workers have have historically been paid salar- salaried, but when you divide a salary, even like a so-called decent salary, by the number of hours, suddenly you're like making less, less than minimum wage, and it's very sad. Yeah. <laughs> But um, now, so some of these unions, one of part of their, you know, bargaining was to get paid hourly instead. So that, oh, that's
0: smart.
1: Yeah. So that people are getting paid, you know, a more actually for the, for the hours. And in the end, people are usually getting overtime. Cause usually, you know, we need staff to do more things in, you know, October. So that's a really good thing that is happening that, and sometimes, you know, people bargain for other benefits too, but that, is slowly making this career more and more accessible to people who don't have the same financial cushion. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good thing that happens. And okay. I have to sh- tell you something. So when I saw the name of your podcast, I uh-huh. think maybe like you followed me on Twitter and then I followed you back, yeah, yeah, but I saw the name of the podcast more than work. And I was like, huh, that's not me. Um, because, and, and then I read the description a lot of us in this career, and I think in many careers, especially when there's like a cause involved, yeah. so much of our identity is our work and yeah. like what your job is. And I'm not talking about just title, but mm-hmm. like what the nature of your work is and what the impact of it is. And something that I am like, honestly, still working on is like trying to be more of a person yeah. outside of my career because- you know, it's, we have to, we have to value that parts of our humanity. And so mm-hmm. right now, you know, I'm unemployed, I'm job searching. I, and this is another hot tip to job searchers. Tell your family and friends you're on sabbatical. Okay. Don't tell them you're unemployed. If, if you don't want them to worry about you, because, you know, there are so many negative stigmas to being unemployed mm-hmm. for, and that, that's a whole other thing of its own, you know, like equity yeah. wise. And some people it's like, especially if you need a job right away for money, you can't, you can't afford to be out here being like, I'm on sabbatical, (laughs) you know, like that's not for everybody. But one of the things that that helps me do, at least to myself mentally is like, yes, I'm going to apply for jobs. A lot of it is networking. Of course, a lot of it's keeping in touch with people, but I try to use my sabbatical time intentionally. I try to like Lead into like every single day off that I have I try to like savor every like morning smoothie that I drink slowly Mm -hmm. and every like long session I have cuddling with my dogs you cannot like pause the rest of your life because you're working for a good cause like you're still a human and you still have to like invest in that part of yourself so honestly it's something that I'm still working on (laughs) I'm not even gonna lie to you
0: Well, yeah. And so it's funny. So a couple of things. So one, well, going back really quick to the whole hourly versus salaried, it's funny because everyone does that at some point when they're, and you do that conversion of your salary to an hourly rate on the worst day you're having, you always go (laughs) and go, Yes, (laughs) I'm being overworked. I, you know, F these people, they're only paying paying me this much an hour. Right. And I remember exactly when I did that, I was working in a call center. Oh, and I was doing some crazy shift because it was, uh, it was a flower company. It was Valentine's day. So we're coming up on Valentine's day right now when we're recording this, but I remember working like 16 hours and I added up all week and then I was making so little and I was so mad and I know exactly when you do that. And yeah, and I think if you're getting paid hourly, why what's smart about that is then the person paying you is going to be more conscientious of what they're giving you to do.
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly.
0: It might be cheaper to hire another person and employ another person to do a normal amount of work mm-hmm. than it will be to pay the other one over time. Yeah. 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 So
1: exactly. That's smart. Exactly.
0: As far as the podcast. Yeah. It's, it's more than work. And so there's, and I've been exactly like that where I've done nothing but work. And I think what intrigued me about talking to you was that you are doing work that reflects your values.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But you're right. Even when you're doing even that. Still. <laughs> even still. still. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's a tricky thing to learn. And as far as the job search, I remember going through that. Um, I've been employed most of the time. Mm-hmm. Most of my, since I was like 15 and a half, I think it was when you could start working. Mm-hmm. I've had probably six months total in that time. And I'm 41 that I didn't work. So mm-hmm. I've been really lucky. But mm-hmm. the first time I was looking for a job when I got laid off and had to get another one, I was obsessed with it. And I was spending all my time yeah. doing that. And then the next time I did the same thing as you, and I think it is a good point. It's really important because it's, it's one of the most um, just difficult things to be waiting to hear back mm-hmm. and not hear back or to hear no or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it does start to be like really degrading to you. And yeah, like, yeah. And, and you you have other things to do and you do them because once you've emailed your application sitting at your computer, staring at it, isn't going to get anyone to respond faster. So yeah, go have your smoothie, have your walk, have your cuddle time, whatever. So those are good. Those are good points. And yeah, you have to learn them quite often. You do,
1: you do. And I get a little bit better at it every time, you know, every, every time, because Now working on campaigns, luckily after several campaigns, I expect it. I know it's going to happen. I'm able to plan for it, you know, financially, logistically to have an an unknown amount of time where I'm unemployed and then say, I'm going to move who knows where, who knows when, but you really like when your whole self-worth is like your career and your job, and then you don't have a job, it's like, whoopsie, (laughs) who am I? And you have to like, have some things to remind yourself Mm -hmm. who you are.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I think it'd be hard too, because I know I, I always get really invested in where I work. And mm-hmm. right now, like I'm a consultant on projects and and I still get super invested and like I feel like I'm part of the company I'm working with and mm-hmm. like they're part of my team and whatever. And so you're in a career again, what we've talked about is you're handling like really high stakes mm-hmm. stuff, like for someone winning and, and really them, them having a job for Mm -hmm. x number of years but it's also like a super emotional thing to you know become attached to maybe a candidate or Mm -hmm. your colleagues and then to move on so how do you handle all that like emotionally do you have a a way that you do that
1: um do i handle it though Um, (laughs) um i lean into it like i said i have cried at least once i i don't cry every day at work you know I've cried at least once in front of every single one of my bosses for various Mm -hmm. reasons. I embrace it. And I try to be there for others and the communal aspect of campaigns is so important, not just with fellow staff, but with volunteers. And like everybody is there because we care. And so sometimes it actually helps us work through any conflict or issues because we're, you know, when you do active listening, you know, you're listening Mm -hmm. to the other person's perspective and then you're, Tying it to what are our shared values. And luckily, when you're on a mission-driven team, whether that be a volunteer team or a staff team, that mission's very, very aligned with the value. Our value is you know, winning. And why do we want to win? Because X, Y, Z. Maybe people have a couple different reasons why winning is so important to them. But I, I bond with my team over it. And I think for the most part, it makes us all stronger that we are so invested in it emotionally, uh, particularly when your job is to motivate other people through organizing or through training, I show up fully motivated and I don't hide it. And honestly, sometimes I even cry a little bit when I'm like public speaking. I don't know if Mm -hmm. I cried in the training that you came to. Not like, not like sobbing, but you know, at least, at least a little bit. And I always hope people don't think it's fake. Like I promise I don't plan it. I'm like a little bit embarrassed (laughs) every time it happens. I'm not being fake. I just like when I start to talk about, you know, why organizing matters or the work that was done in California 10 to flip that congressional district, I feel some type of way. So on one hand, do I handle it? Uh, I don't know. I lean into it. But at the same time, it's kind of like what I said about the job search thing. You have to remind yourself who you are outside of work. Sometimes, even if you have a big day, you have to like do something to find balance. So for me, friends are big. I have a lot of like long-distance friendships because mm-hmm. of the nature of moving around so much. Taking big or small trips and time off is really big. When I was working in Nevada, for some of the time... I was based in Reno, which is an hour away from Lake Tahoe, of all places. And so sometimes, especially early on in the campaign, we would have a day off a week, which for campaigns, I was like, Oh, my God, this is the most free time I've ever had. This is this is wild. Um, I would do like solo hiking in Lake Tahoe, or I would meet Mm. a friend there, or I would, you know, I drove to San Francisco for a friend's going away party, that was five hours, because luckily, I, I had just barely enough time to do it. So that having the change of scenery is big of course friends and changes of scenery are so much harder during the pandemic you know you Uh. can't really safely do those things so in the pandemic it's been more about like taking care of my body i have really let that slide in the past you know to Mm -hmm. be like okay i have time to exercise and eat healthy later right now i just have time for this i like we need to stop doing that and anyone who's listening like just, just stop. You have, you have to like, you know, I've allowed myself to get into cooking and Pilates and like jogging and hiking a little bit. And even it's so important for me, at least to push myself to sleep a little bit more instead mm. of spending the extra 30 to 90 minutes scrolling on Instagram. That is yeah. like, <laughs> that's not an ideal behavior for me to be doing. And so every time I like take time and do anything intentional to take care of me as a person. I then feel so good about myself because it's like I it reminds me every time that I'm I'm being intentional about valuing myself and then it's even better for my confidence and self-esteem. I also try to make a little carve out a little bit of time for quirky things that bring me joy. If there is a karaoke office, Mm-hmm. No, a karaoke place within 30 miles of the campaign office, I will find it. I will hunt it down and I will bring half the office and we will do karaoke. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> that brings me so much joy. Um, I also, I'm kind of a diva and I like to do photo shoots. So if I ever get like a new merch item, like from mm-hmm. the, like if they send if they send us t-shirts or mugs or something, I'll do a little photo shoot. I took 30 minutes to do a photo shoot of me with my ballot this November. I was so <laughs> ex- I did it in October because yeah. I voted early, right? Because I'm yeah. a good voter. Um, but I did, I'd have like slow-mo footage of me like prancing around the yard with my ballot, that kind of thing, for whatever reason, it brings me so much joy. And so <laughs> if I have 30 minutes to do that, i'll I'll do it. it ends up being you know an hour because i do i do do my hair my makeup my wardrobe you right. know you have to you yeah. owe it to the people yeah
0: <laughs> yeah you have you have people you're serving so <laughs> it's karaoke my one of my best friends and i would go during college and we they'd have in i was in san diego and there was this area called convoy and they would have these like places you could rent a private karaoke room
1: yes oh those are fun. oh it was great
0: like i would rap i don't sing well yeah and, and then she would sing like opera
1: oh my god what but I like you know
0: it. it was just ridiculous. and we were both i don't know it was questionable talent uh and we'd get food and stuff so what's your like go-to my go-to is usually like an m M&M m one because i have a few memorized what's your go-to
1: Okay, I don't have a one go to if I do one over and over, it gets stale. It's not my best performance. Okay, (laughs) so but I usually do songs by like female pop divas, Mm -hmm. like a pink song, a Rihanna song, a Britney song. Can't go wrong with Britney. You cannot.
0: No. Did you You see the documentary yet? By the way? No,
1: I need to watch it.
0: Watch it. Yeah. And anyone listening, watch it. it. I mean, it's Yeah, I don't want to get into it right now. But it was like really rough.
1: I, yeah. yeah, I'm kind of like I know it's going to be like emotionally a lot to see. Um, I'll be, I know I'll be mad at the world after I see mm-hmm. it. So
0: yeah, you will. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's good. So you go with the D and do you sing well or is it just enthusiasm? Okay, I'm mean?
1: not going to lie. I kind of do sing well. Um, I was like a choir and a theater kid growing up, and I kind of tapered off that in in college. But I've been I've been in the musical Annie three times. Really? How does that happen? Three times. Yeah. Um, in junior high, in high school, and once in community theater, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm decent. But it's not, okay, I'm not, I was good. My talents have, have also tapered off. So sometimes, am I on pitch? No. But am I enthusiastic? Yes. Yes. There yeah. we go. Yeah. <laughs> I bring the pop diva energy, even if I don't bring the pop diva quality.
0: That's good. I mean, hey, that's, that's, you could audition with, for American Idol with that. Mm, You know, a lot of people do.
1: They wouldn't have me. I would, I would possibly bomb and be one of those people who they show who's like the example of like someone who came in with too much confidence. Yeah, yeah. That that might be me. Thank you for saying that.
0: Hey, you know what? Those, (laughs) those reels do something too. Yeah. So, so, okay. So we've talked about your passion of karaoke, right? Mm -hmm. Which is awesome. But What are issues that you are most passionate about um, just in general? We've talked a bit about them actually throughout this, but, and then have you ever had to work with a candidate who doesn't necessarily reflect your exact values? I think it's hard. What I noticed, I'll just tell you what I noticed because I've been volunteering for like 20 years now, at least doing voter registration on campaigns. And I would say I saw a big shift just as like a person on the sidelines because of just people are more progressive now i mean there's a whole mm-hmm. progressive wing of the party and so someone like me who was a little bit older and hadn't had had to do a mind shift to get there um i saw a lot of differences in people kind of talking and working with candidates who were maybe more moderate than them so i don't know if that's an issue for you but that's just kind of where i'm coming from with the question so yeah like what issue are you most passionate about and how do you even handle if a candidate's not exactly aligned where you are like how do you mm-hmm. keep working that way
1: um, reproductive rights for me are probably like the number one mm-hmm. luckily I I rarely hear of Democrats who stray from the party line on yeah. that I have what would I do I mean I haven't worked with a candidate I haven't worked for a candidate who did not support reproductive yeah. rights I don't think I would for that one and it would you would almost have to search to find someone who mm-hmm. didn't support that. And, you know, yeah, the party is moving to the left. I am I'm pretty happy about that. For me, the priority has been keeping Democratic majorities everywhere possible right. and to have a Democrat. I, you know, does every can I worked for agree with like every single little thing for me? Uh, probably not every single thing, but 95 percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, having I'd much rather have somebody in office who is 95 percent aligned and a good person and an effective leader than sit it out, you know, not work on that campaign, maybe have the Republican win. Absolutely not. You know, Mm -hmm. and winning the House was kind of like that, like a lot of moderates won in moderate areas where, you know, likely somebody more progressive couldn't win. And so am I mad at those people for their more moderate stances? No, they're, they're meeting the needs of their district. And Mm -hmm. for me, like, that's, that's what it is. There are people who see their, their role in the movement as, you know, creating those um, progressive standard bearers. And I think that's an important role. That's not the role that I see myself in. I see myself as somebody who wants to like fight in these competitive seats. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, them having values and policies I'm aligned with, that's, that's important, but just as important is, are they somebody who can win? Are they Mm -hmm. viable? Are we, are we putting our, our resources and our time into a winnable fight? That's quite important to me. And it's also quite important to me that the person is able to be effective, that I know that when they get in office, they are going to be able to work with people and and sometimes they're going to have to work with people when they're in the minority you know and so can they that's one of the things that i love about joe biden i i will never stop talking about joe biden i love (laughs) him so much he has really proven that he is able to work with people he's able to work with democrats he's able to work with republicans and he's able to get stuff done. And, you know, I personally have benefited from the ACA mm-hmm. being law of the land. Mm-hmm. And had he not been the one going through the halls of Congress, having hard conversations with people, I don't know if the ACA would have passed. I don't know what kind of ACA it would have looked like. So, those are all things that's really important to me. And one of the good things about working on campaigns is you you generally sign up for that candidate in particular or even Mm -hmm. if you're working for the party it's like you know who the candidate is and so I've never been like I've never had a candidate like thrust upon me and it's like you have to work for this person it's like I I was able to choose you know so That's that's great that's been great yeah
0: yeah that's really cool and yeah I mean the it's true like a lot of the basic issues you're not gonna find really conflict Yeah.
1: You're not really going to find a Democrat who wants us to have less healthcare, less education, (laughs) (laughs) more racism. You're not, you're not, you know, you're, um, and that's the nice thing about, you know, okay. The party system's not ideal, of course, in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways, that's, that's not a hot take, but there is something to be said for like, there's a party line that people don't usually stray super far from Mm -hmm. on a lot of issues. and just having the democratic majority, we can see how much of a difference that made in 2018, even when mm-hmm. that was, you know, the only thing that we had on the national level. And of course, oh my gosh, it's amazing that Joe Biden right now has Congress and effectively the Senate too. Mm-hmm. So that majority is, is so, 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 so important. And again, the 95% thing is huge. I I would never expect a candidate to to be exactly who I want them to be. Right. And, and that's life, but you know, what can we do to make our government a little bit better?
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And just like you serving the way you are, uh, did you seek out to work on a presidential campaign and you did? Oh yes. Oh yes.
1: (laughs) I, I mean, I actually thought about trying to work on the presidential campaign in 2016 I'm, I'm really happy where I ended up. I met some of my best friends on the Ami campaign. But, you know, right after that, I was like, what are we all doing in four years? <laughs> where do you need me? And so I, I kind of planned my career with that in mind, knowing that mm, I wanted to cool. eventually work on the eventual Democratic candidates um, general election campaign. And um, yeah, even right after 2018, everybody I talked to, I was like, I want to be on the presidential what do you know? I want to be the a presidential. What do you know? Some people in politics, I feel like kind of feel like they happened upon their career. Mm-hmm. For me, parts of it have been very intentional. I have been plotting and vying to work on the presidential campaign for, <laughs> for years. And then I feel, I feel so blessed that it, it worked out for me.
0: That's awesome. That's great. Mm-hmm. So like I mentioned, uh, I at the beginning I became aware of you specifically at the National Day of Service um, event, the Equity and Service training, and so this past year, meaning well, 2020, really, um, there was a huge cultural shift on the issues of diversity, and inclusion, and that encompasses like race and sex and sexuality, which your training covered. I, it was, I'll tell you, because as someone who, and I've talked about a lot, quite a bit on this podcast, but I'm someone who. The service is a huge part of my life, even though I have a career in IT, whatever, right? And I do comedy. So those have nothing to do with service, but it's huge. And I had never been in a training like that where it was really talking about issues like even, you know, don't come in and just think you're saving people and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And like that's so, a thing with yeah. nonprofits too. People yeah. think they're going to do that, but it's really serving others, not, and it's yourself a little bit, but because you feel good about it. So can you just talk about your work around service and you work with a lot of volunteers, Mm -hmm. right? Which, you know, we already mentioned that too, but then also like maybe specifically those issues around diversity and inclusion and equity. Mm -hmm. And even if you can define those for people, that'd be great. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to say up top is I am not really an expert in this area. You know, there are people whose whole career is Mm -hmm. DEI work, DEI standing for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that's, you know, I don't want to, you know, right. plump myself up. Um, but I, I mean, I do have, of course, lived experience in the area. I'm a woman, I'm a person of color, I'm a Latina. And, and like I said, a lot of, I got to explore that a lot in college because of the social justice affinity group that I was a part of. And I was exposed to a lot of language and thought ideas. I took classes having to do with this. I, I read articles. I, I talked to friends about it a lot in college. And when I actually started working in politics, I I didn't talk as much about that stuff at work. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, it it informed why I was there and why a lot of us were there, but we didn't explicitly discuss it at work a lot. And it kind of came back to the forefront of things we actually talk about in work meetings after the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. Of course, all over the country it did. And we had meetings on the Biden campaign. It was still... Uh, the general election had not started yet at that time, really, it was still mostly the smaller primary staff, we had staff meetings where it was kind of an open floor for staffers to share how they felt about what was happening, just to kind of process and unpack in community. And then there were also spaces provided for people to give feedback to the campaign, Mm -hmm. which I was pretty impressed that those spaces were created. And um, I felt very strongly about it and i kind of felt like i was on the more senior side among field staffers mm-hmm. and i felt that you know one one of the things that happens on campaigns is uh not just sometimes volunteers having problematic attitudes towards voters sometimes mm-hmm. you know maybe feeling like you're saving somebody because you're going to their neighborhood telling them that's not a great attitude of course sometimes there are definitely some microaggressions that happen you know volunteers will say things to staff particularly staff of colors staff of color staff who are queer staff who are trans there are some things that staffers experience and so I felt very strongly about it I ended up writing in my free time, like a 10 page memo of recommendations that I had for the campaign. And I did some research on implicit biases and equitable hiring practices, because I knew that within the next month, we were going to staff up to thousands of staffers from a few hundred. And we were going to be hiring a lot of people. And the people who work on presidential campaigns, that's a big career boost. A bunch of them are going to end up working in the administration. A bunch of them are going to go on to run the Democratic Party. People were very, very cool. And several. People, you know, kind of high up in the campaign, took meetings with me and heard me out. And some of the things that I was proposing were actually already planning to happen. So that oh. was really, really cool. Um, one of the things that I proposed was that we train not just staff but also volunteers on these mm-hmm. issues. My thought process being that there are a lot of very well intentioned people who want to like do right by these issues, but don't necessarily know where to start. And my thought process was that as the democratic campaign, we, our voice was given a lot of weight, whether or not it should on this issue, our people placed some amount of like trust in us and were willing to listen to our voice and had the exposure to it. So I was like, this is something that we can do. That is, you know, we do all these trainings. This is something that's relatively within our lane. Um, and so I actually that ended up being the start of me getting to manage the project of making these volunteer trainings happen. We had mm-hmm. some amazing people who built staff trainings for all staff and trainings for managers on these issues. My one little piece was um, doing it for volunteers. And so one of the trainings that I'm really proud of is a training on equity and voting rights. And it it was, we wanted to really give people the awareness that sometimes you're going to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't have the same attitude towards voting that you are. Mm. And traditionally, um, and your listeners may or may not know this, uh, kind of the the typical profile, if you will, of a Democratic volunteer is a college-educated White woman, and particularly uh, a middle-aged white woman, and that's sort of the typical (laughs) profile.
0: Raising my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Why resent being middle-aged? But it's true. But yeah, go ahead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, and you know, of course, we want all the volunteers. So it's like Mm -hmm. we're not we're not telling anybody to stop volunteering. Obviously, but you know, we wanted to have people think about how can we. Make volunteering more accessible, more welcoming mm-hmm. for people who are not that demographic, and p- particularly for the people who are most impacted by the re- results of this election. So that was one thing we did. We also did a training on hosting equity informed events. Mm. Um, but our training on equity and voting rights it focused on the idea that you know sometimes folks do come in with this attitude of you know oh god this person didn't want to vote they're they're just stupid they don't understand or they don't care you know mm-hmm. or they don't get it and. And that's a problematic attitude to think that you know more about somebody because it's very informed by your lived experience. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if someone has been experiencing so many types of systemic structural oppression stacked on top of each other, if the government has not historically done right by them or people like them, it's not you know we shouldn't be out here being surprised shocked clutching our pearls that somebody is not excited to vote yeah. and so that was a training where we did talk about you know active listening and and meeting people where they are and being authentic and when you're talking to somebody being aware about your own relationship with privilege and oppression and and i i mean that's something that i'm i'm very proud of i feel very strongly about it and i i hope that we'll have you know, more of those conversations as time goes on. And then I, we, when I was working on the presidential inaugural committee, we did a similar training for Mm -hmm. the day of service, knowing, like you said, some people come in with a savior complex to think Mm -hmm. that they're saving people. And, and it's really not about that. So when you're, when you're serving people, you should, you should really be thinking about, you know, what's, what's the root cause and what's your relationship with the root cause? Have you Mm -hmm. perhaps benefited from the very thing that is causing that problem. You need to approach it a little bit differently. And, and maybe the story is for you that you have also been harmed by, mm-hmm. by the issue at hand and you you can approach things a little differently um, that way. So that's, uh, that's what I have been doing. My lane has just been in making some of these trainings happen and and being a starting point for people to think about these issues. And we always encourage people to continue to educate themselves because it's not fair to ask somebody who is impacted by a particular type of oppression. It's not fair to ask that person to educate you. It's a lot of emotional Mm -hmm. labor. So that was part of the reason of providing a training. It's like, okay, don't, don't, don't ask these harmful questions to people who you're going to burden. you know, come to this training and listen and, here are some ways that you can continue to think about this and educate yourself.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I just, I mean, really just to have the, to take the insight you have and then to research and then to come up with the training program. I thought it was fantastic. And I,
1: thank you.
0: Yeah, I really loved it. And it did change how a little bit about how I look at myself as a volunteer. Um, mm. Cause even, well, with campaign volunteering, I mean, it's an interesting thing because like this year was a lot about phone calls because mm-hmm. you could only do that. Well, I was in England too, or I am in England, oh, so yeah. I could only do phone calls, right? Yeah. So it's like after work, just do phone calls. But even then, if when I would go into it some days, like, oh, I don't want to do this because I didn't. I was like, oh mm-hmm. God, I don't want to do this, but I have to. Like, yeah. And I would have that kind of attitude. And then some days I'd yeah. go into it. All right, let's see what we get. And you could have such different conversations with people when you'd get them on the phone and when they wouldn't yell at you, but yeah. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, you're right about volunteers actually just thinking about that. And one thing I had trouble with, and I don't know, I'll be interested in what you think. I mean, is like I tried to get friends and family to volunteer and it's really hard because I'm motivated a certain way and I've always done it. Did you, I don't know. Do you find like, it's hard even for you even though you're working in it do you ever try to get friends and family to do stuff and they don't want to do it and how do you feel about it because I was getting a bit resentful to be honest during the campaign like
1: you know absolutely it is it is it is so hard <laughs> it is so hard you never know what you're gonna get you never know if you're gonna get somebody who yells at you and you know feels inconvenienced by your call or if you're gonna get somebody who who literally, did not know this one crucial piece about voting and now they will, because you're going to go, you, yeah. you never know. And, um, I have a confession. I will say this on the record. I have at times knocked on a door and made a phone call and prayed to God, please don't answer. Oh please yeah. Don't answer. I, I have done that on, on hard days, but I am always trying to get family. Like that's all my Instagram story ever is is volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. <laughs> have you volunteered yeah. for this? Have you volunteered for that? And I mean, at this point, all of my friends are like mo- most of the people who I know are are working on campaigns themselves, or I met them because they volunteered. But um, it it is hard. But the reason why we do it is because it works. You know, we yeah. would not ask people to go through this um, this sometimes stressful experience because of that, and we try to make it the best experience possible by having a community in place for support and by having a training that prepares people for what Mm -hmm. they're going to experience. But, you know, these, I think actually the fact that phone calls and door knocks are in some ways so unglamorous are actually what makes them effective because this is a one-on-one conversation where you're putting yourself out there. You don't know what's going to happen when you go to the door, when somebody answers. And I honestly think that voters on the other side have a certain extent of appreciation for that. And mm-hmm. that's why you've probably also had a lot of people tell you, thank you for calling. Like, even yeah. if I've had people be like, Oh, I can't talk right now, but thank you for calling her. Oh, I'm voting for another candidate, but thank you for calling. Because I think people get that there's a certain humility in that. And mm-hmm. just the fact that we are willing to even make that effort as individuals, it, it it helps make the case for the candidate that somebody literally cared enough to spend a couple hours on the phone not knowing what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And I really think person to person voter contact is the purest form of democracy for that exact reason. So I mean yeah. I wanna say it it absolutely works. And the good conversations, they make up for it. You know. They do. they really do. Um, I have, there's There. I mean, I, so I've, I've had obviously so many wonderful conversations I've, I've knocked on and made thousands and thousands Mm -hmm. of phone calls and door knocks. Uh, when I was in Las Vegas for, I was knocking on doors for the caucus for Joe. And, you know, one day I was getting so many, not homes. I'm going around like this apartment complex, just literally nobody was there. I was like, where is everybody? (laughs) Um, Finally, this couple answered. They were a Puerto Rican couple and they spoke mostly Spanish and I speak Spanish, too. And so yeah. we were able to communicate. You're only supposed to stay there for five minutes because you've got to keep moving. But I was like, you know, what? I haven't talked to anybody else today. And there was because there was I don't speak perfect Spanish. There was a tiny bit of like a language barrier. And so it took a little bit longer to communicate. But they, in fact, were trying to figure out how the caucus process worked. It changed. It used to be you had to go in person on the day of. Mm-hmm. Now you could do early in person. So I'm explaining that to them. But we're explaining like here's the places where you could go. We end up just staying there for a while, and um, you know we talked about like what it meant to us as Latinos to be in this, to be in this fight against Donald Trump, and just how how much it meant to us that we. We're going to vote and participate in the democratic process. Mm -hmm. And we even talked about, you know, they, they pulled out some travel photographs. I love photography. We're like (laughs) talking about their travels. And when I go to a door and I really click with the folks and if I think they might need help voting, I'll write down like my personal cell phone for them. Mm -hmm. And they actually called me not just once, but twice. They called me to tell me that they had gone to vote early And then months later, there was a primary or no, there was a local election in Las Vegas. And Mm -hmm. hardly anybody um, votes in local elections, unfortunately. Yeah. They called me to see how they could vote in that. And so we talked about the voting by mail process and where they could drop it off and how they could mail it in and by when. And that's extremely gratifying to connect with somebody that way and to know that, you know, that you were helpful. Yeah. It's, It's extremely gratifying.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. I, when I was calling for George, I was calling for Reverend Warnock. And I ended up talking to this guy for like 15 minutes, which I'm just gonna say now because no one's gonna find out but or find me. <laughs> but yeah, he was just super cool. we were just talking. I mean, it was great, you know, so I know it's just it's, it's such a cool thing. And to get to do and then you're, you know, you're working with volunteers a lot. So mm-hmm. on the Biden campaign, what was your role? Like your actual role?
1: My my role changed from day one to day five hundred and something. I was actually working on the campaign for a long, long, long time. I st- I worked in field and training, and so in Nevada, I was a deputy organizing director. So I was in charge of kind of like half the state for field, and my role was to you know help help run the field team and mm-hmm. make sure that people had what they needed. Make sure that we we got all of our folks hired. And then towards the end of the Nevada caucus, I moved down to Vegas, and I was effectively the out-of-state director. And so I had a small team, and our job was to bring in volunteers from outside of Nevada to come volunteer in the final days. And then after Nevada, I was sent to Texas and then Florida to be part of the organizing teams there. Wow. Um, and that was so fun. That was that, What a whirlwind, man. What a whirlwind week. The week from From the Nevada caucus to Super Tuesday, the Jim Clyburn endorsement, winning South Carolina, mm-hmm. getting a bunch of Democratic um, endorsements, I will never forget that week of my life and the people I was with in Texas for it. Um, that was magical, you know. Unfortunately, a couple of days before the Florida primary, COVID <laughs> really ramped up, and so everyone got sent home. And they, I really appreciated how they, the campaign really, really cared about our safety. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what this means for my job, my safety. They set it up so that we did everything remotely. We did Amazing. a bunch of remote organizing. And so for the first, you know, for like March through, you know, June, before the general really started in high gear, mm-hmm. we were doing remote organizing and we were, we were organized into pods. So I was part of the Southeast pod. Okay. Which included states like Texas and Florida and Georgia and um, I think North Carolina, and so we were doing remote organizing there as well as in other states that were not swing states. Mm-hmm. And our main goal was to introduce ourselves to volunteers and to to get people started organizing, to get people started, you know, recruiting volunteers and you know building up our list, building up our movement. So yeah, that was cool. We did a lot of like creative events. And that was a time where we weren't super focused on doing a ton of phone calls. So we could really lean into investing in relationships with people and with volunteer leaders. So that was, that was a cool time. And then in the general election, I was on the training team. I was a deputy national training director and that was remote too, actually. And so our job was to build you know, build all the training materials for all the staff in the States and volunteers in the States. And my one specific piece of that was working with the distributed organizing team. They did all the organizing for non battleground States. And so it was structured really differently. You know, we would, we would usually have staff on the ground or virtually on the ground in the battleground States, but it doesn't scale to do that. There are, there are so many volunteers Mm -hmm. in California and New York and, we have volunteers in, in more red states too, you know, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Wyoming, there are, there are people there who want to volunteer. And so our, our job was to make it as easy as possible for those folks to volunteer. And so my, my role within that was to build training content and work with that team to build and amend that training content, slides, training videos, guides, written guides, how to right. use this tool, how to use that tool. Um, that was, I was doing, it was amazing. I feel so passionately about training. We have to invest in our people. You yeah. know, if somebody is interested in helping the campaign, we should give them every tool that we can so that they feel prepared and supported in doing that. So it was amazing. It was great. That's cool.
0: It's funny in my job, I do training like, Oh, really? Yeah. Like we build a soft, we build a system like in this one software, and then we mm-hmm. have to train the people to use it. And I've done that in a couple of jobs and it is a really cool thing because you learn mm-hmm. a lot about how to communicate you in do. a specific way enable people to do something. It's fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, and you think about like how adults learn and what makes uh-huh. them motivated to learn and, and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. really cool. Um, what was the week? I just, I'll tell you, I, there's been a couple times now where I've had these emotional, just completely like, I don't know, just either sobbed or just felt completely drained. And mm-hmm. one of them was inauguration week. I'll tell you just because it was stressful worrying yeah. about him. Yeah. Honestly, for like yeah. a couple weeks, worried about this man. Mm-hmm. And then after he's in and then you're just like, oh, wow, this is over. <sighs> yeah. You know, but then there was also, and this man, I mean, the president of the United States. That <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm referring yeah. to him respectfully as this man now. Yeah. That's great. Um, But then also like, that week when we were waiting for the results and we had all told ourselves, like people who were really aware, mm-hmm. had told ourselves and I had told my mom a million times, like, we're not going to know. We just need to be calm. But then it was such a rough, like several days. How did you, yeah. having been so intimately involved in it for so long, just how was it for you? I'm just curious, like,
1: Ugh, man, it was it was a very it was a very draining week. Yeah. Um, election night. I don't know if you remember election night. Of course, everyone remembers. It kind of looked like Trump was winning a tiny bit, you know, because he was like ahead. And I think people were shell shocked. Some people were shell shocked, even if they knew that that wasn't <laughs> the final result. It's like we I think it, it It ended up being quite a blowout victory for Biden, but it really did not look that way on election night. No. I remember going to bed being like kind of confused and stunned. I remember trying physically getting into bed and feeling like my body was moving through sand. That's how Mm -hmm. like weird emotionally I felt. Luckily the next morning, the campaign was really good. I thought about messaging like, Hey, we honestly have like so many more votes still to come in and, you know, looking at the data and looking at the trends we it actually looks like we're going to win and win by a significant margin and so i was you know luckily i'm surrounded by so many campaign staffers who are we're saying that to each other we're posting it online and we're like what look we did everything we could um Mm -hmm. but the one thing that actually we did do is we did something called ballot curing in the days after so yeah right okay yeah did you volunteer for that
0: i did for georgia but yeah go ahead because a lot of people probably don't know what it is
1: yeah so if you're not familiar with ballot curing it's when somebody doesn't sign their ballot or when somebody's signature doesn't match a signature on file, they have to just submit a little affidavit mm-hmm. form saying, "Yes, that was me. I voted. That's a legit vote." And so people don't always know that that's even a thing that they would have to do, of course. Mm-hmm. And so you just you call you call folks and you say, "Hey, there They may have been an issue with your ballot. Can you can you turn in this form?" Or sometimes you actually even go to their house. And so luckily, we were busy with that. So I had something to do every day. And so I just put all my energy into that and Mm -hmm. um, watched a lot of CNN that week. (laughs) But um, (laughs) we love CNN. Yeah, I mean, luckily, I had something to to throw myself in. Uh, I will never forget. I don't think any of us will ever forget the Saturday that it was called for Joe. Yeah. That was a beautiful day.
0: Well yeah, that was one of the times I'll say I just bawled. I mean, because yeah. and that was a big catalyst. I um I actually signed up for I'm doing a public leadership credential at Harvard Kennedy and Whoa, cool. what part of what made me just say it's time to to really commit more to learning more so you can serve better mm-hmm. was their speeches that night. Um, mm, yeah. the president and the vice president. But yeah, yeah, I remember that day. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah.
1: I get weepy every time Kamala, like, speaks. <laughs> oh, gosh. She's amazing.
0: I know. it's like It really has, I mean, in a way, maybe made us all more cry more, like, all this. So yeah. maybe some of the criticism are true. Yes, we are very emotional people. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Leave us yeah. alone. That's so cool. I mean, that's just great that you were you were getting to work. In, you know, not you got to, but that you... I don't want to say you got to do something. I hate when people say that, like, oh, well, you're lucky you got to do this. But it's really cool that you worked so hard and you decided you wanted something and you went for it and you got, you worked in, in that role like that you were in, you know, and on the campaign you wanted to be on. That's mm-hmm. awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I thank you for saying that. But I do feel lucky, you know? Sure. i I can feel every day that like it's a privilege and not everybody gets to do that. Not everybody has the flexibility Mm -hmm. in their life to, to go through that kind of experience. And, and, you know, everybody gets to where they are, because other people take chances on them and invest in them and believe in them. And a lot of people have, have done that for me. And I'll, you know, that'll never be like lost on me.
0: Mm -hmm. No, and that's true. And to be grateful for those things is important. Well, on that note of, of like, not everyone can do that. Not everyone can do the kind of lifestyle you have for whatever reason. And that's reasonable. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Um, But what are ways you would like to see people get involved in their communities and that you've become familiar with?
1: Okay, I have I have some thoughts on this. The first thing I want to say is to anyone listening, if you are thinking about getting involved, please do it. We Mm -hmm. need you. And we need you now more than ever. Historically, something that happens after a Democrat wins in the presidential year, Democrats have horrible luck and not not luck. They have horrible results in elections because there's less public. There's less of a public eye on it. And people aren't always as motivated because we feel like we can go home. And so hopefully nobody feels like we can give up now. But um, we we need to be doing work on campaigns at the congressional level, at the federal level, at the local level, we need to be winning state legislatures for Democrats. We need to be winning local seats, city council, school board, and we need people to be doing advocacy around issues at every level mm-hmm. of government. So please, nobody, we cannot get complacent. We need you. Whether you feel like you know a lot about Democrats, about politics or whether you feel like you don't, you have a voice you we need you to use that voice. So I just want to say that up top. So one thing is volunteering on democratic campaigns. You can usually find info on how to get started on a website. Sometimes there will just be like a contact form where you can say like I'm interested in volunteering Mm -hmm. and and often you know give people sometimes a few weeks depending on the campaign to follow up with you. So that's one thing. Um, There is a website called Mobilize America that a lot of democratic campaigns are using and other progressive orgs and other nonprofits. And it's a volunteer sign up platform. So if you go to Mm. Mobilize America, you could even just search events in your area. And most of these events these days are virtual. And you could figure out a way to get started. Um, You can also get involved with your local Democratic Party or Democratic Club. Local Democratic parties at the county level usually have a website where they list all the Democratic Clubs and you can find the meeting information there. That's a really good way to actually get to meet people who are running for local office. A lot of Democrats running for local office make the rounds of the Democratic clubs. And so you could meet Mm -hmm. somebody that way and somebody who sparks your interest, you could volunteer for them. Um, If you live in an area that's really blue and you want to work on winning Democratic majorities elsewhere because it's not as neat in your area, check out Swing Left and Sister District. They organize volunteers. Well, they actually have volunteers self-organize in blue areas, especially like blue cities to to volunteer and just create all this extra air support for swing, you know, for for, for purple districts, for state legislature, for Congress, for, for Senate even. So that's a great organization. Um, and anyone – some folks, of course, may not feel – very connected to the Democratic Party may not want to do something quite like that. You might check out something like Indivisible. They are they started as like an anti-Trump organization mm-hmm. that encouraged people to form local chapters. They you know in the 2018 cycle at least they were pretty active doing, you know, direct actions and holding people accountable for their votes. So if that's something that interests you, a lot of those organizations have have you know sometimes gone in different directions at the local level, but that's a really good thing to check out. Or if there's an issue that you feel strongly about, or that you're passionate about, look up those organizations in your area and see, maybe they have a volunteer info meeting. Maybe they just have some other kind of public event that you can go to, Mm -hmm. or you can just send an email saying that, you know, you're, you're interested and kind of what your availability is like. The important thing is I think of organizing as showing up and following up and it's, it's 10% showing up and 90% following up. And so whatever time you have to give matters. If you can show up to one event, be it a protest, a phone bank, a meeting, you know, once a year, that means something. If you can show up 12 times a year, once a month, that matters. If you can show, you know, the more you're able to show up, the better, mm-hmm. but don't think that just because you don't have a lot of time that the time that you do have to give won't be appreciated. It is appreciated. It does matter. Um, I think of these things in terms of the ladder of engagement you know people may start out with more more easy levels of engagement posting on social media um, being a voter you step it up another level maybe you're attending a rally attending a protest you mm-hmm. step it up another level maybe you're volunteering you know to phone bank for an organization you step it up more maybe you're helping set up these volunteer opportunities and you step it up more and more you have you know, bigger organizational duties, and so whatever level you can be at, it it matters, and it's all part of this ecosystem. So, so don't you know? Don't think that what you have to give is not enough. Give mm-hmm. give what you can, and if you're able to give more, and and step up on the ladder of engagement, uh, step up and and give a little bit more. And and every when you step up, it has like this compounding effect because mm-hmm. if you can go to 12 different organizations, you 12 different meetings, that's one thing. If you can go to 12 different meetings of the same organization, you can be part of the fabric of that organization in a bigger way and and make even bigger contributions to that one organization and their mission. So that's why I'd say and whatever you do, goodness, please vote in every single election that you're eligible for and don't snooze on the local elections there yeah. They really, they're really important. And as, as Democrats, I I guess I'm mostly speaking to Democrats here. Um, We have historically snoozed on so many elections, and that's the only reason why we've lost them, you know, so we Mm -hmm. need to all be taking it, you know, you figure out when those local elections are and, and actually make sure that you're telling your family and friends about them, because a lot of people would vote if they just knew that, like, it's, this is when the election is, and it's important to vote.
0: That's true. And I 100% agree to like, whatever people can do. That's the contribution they can make that Mm -hmm. that matters. I think a lot of people, a lot of people will say even to me like, Oh, you do so much, I can't do anything. Well, don't do what I do. Because then I can go, Oh, well, Oprah does so much. I can't do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. you know,
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know what? But that's fine. That's what she she can do Mm -hmm. that. So let her I can't I'm not buying anyone a car. Yeah. Right. But I'll make some phone calls, whatever. And I just feel like, yeah, people kind of diminish their own value sometimes Mm -hmm. and then use that as an excuse not to do anything. It's like, Mm -hmm. come on, guys. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I always hear, you know, the nonprofit space in particular, I think often uses the phrase time, talent, treasure. Mm -hmm. You know, like sometimes you can give all those, sometimes one of them. Maybe some folks listening can't give much time or talent, but they can give treasure, giving money matters. You know, that's how people like me get hired to do work. Yeah. That's how organizations like keep their lights on. And, you know, some people have a special skill that they can put to use. Um, sometimes your special skill can't be put to use with a particular organization. That's fine. You know, if you can give time and are willing to do the what might feel like grunt work, like that work matters. People aren't asking you to do that, you know, just for for a, you know, meaningless sacrifice it's because it it helps it matters Uh, so really whatever you can give it will be will be well received
0: yeah I agree so um I have this set of questions the fun five that I like to ask but before that do you have any like we've talked a lot I think we've given a lot of advice and you have but is there any like mantra or advice that you want to share just as a last yes
1: Most problems can be solved with a good spreadsheet or by having a hard conversation. (laughs) That's my advice. Try and think of a problem that can't be solved by one or both of those things. I dare you. No, I'm sure there are some problems.
0: Yeah, but that's good. No. And I won't, I won't try to think of one now, but I like the spreadsheet. (laughs) Yeah. People know about my Google sheets.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. You submitted
0: a Google form to me, right?
1: I did. I, I was, I was like, this is organized. I like this. <laughs> cool.
0: <laughs> um, all right. So this, the fun five. So what's the oldest T shirt you have and still wear?
1: I have a wicked t shirt that I got from when I was thirteen. It's a long sleeve t shirt, it's a black t shirt. It is heavy in my quarantine rotation. Yeah. I, I wear it a lot. I love it. I don't I told you I was a musical theater person. Yes. Still am at heart.
0: Did you see that? Did you see Dear Evan Hansen?
1: I haven't. I've heard it's really good, though.
0: It's great. And so you can listen to the soundtrack online, but um, they're making a movie of it. So I just can't wait. So oh. I was like, gonna it out with you on that. OK, cool. That's yeah,
1: cool.
0: Yeah, that's great. All right. That's cool. cool. I love it. Wicked. It's been said, and I think we've all experienced this, that it's been like Groundhog's Day for about a year now, because mm-hmm. ever since the pandemic started. So in the movie, Bill Murray listens to I Got You, Babe, as his not really listens to it, but it's his alarm clock song that wakes him up. What would your alarm clock song be if every day was Groundhog's Day?
1: Okay, so it's funny because I kind of I like almost have a an alarm clock song, and it's "Work Bitch" by Britney Spears. <laughs> Can I curse on this podcast? Yeah,
0: okay, a check box for you if you do. So you're fine.
1: Okay, um, I that song. If I ever am having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning, I listen to the, that song, and by the end of it. My feet are on the ground. I'm out of bed. I, it's magical. It's magical. So that that's, I don't, it's not literally my alarm, but I play it many a morning. So much, in fact, that my Spotify rap wrapped, had it as like one of my top five most played. And I am in the top 0.1% of Britney Spears listeners on oh. Spotify. It is an honor I do not take lightly.
0: No, that is a status.
1: It is a status. Yeah, it is. I'm. I'm updating my LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, you should. You should. Wait,
1: one percent of Britney Spears listeners.
0: Yeah, you're in some one percent. So that's good. And point one percent. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, that's good. Cool.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Coffee or tea or neither.
1: Tea and herbal tea only, because this is me with no caffeine. <laughs> so when I drink coffee or like black tea. It is too much. It is really too much. I'm I am an herbal tea only person.
0: Okay. That's well no, that's that's good. No. <laughs> you know? Um, can you think of a time that you like laughed so hard you cried or couldn't stop? Or just something that makes you do that. Like maybe there's like like I don't know if you saw that Zoom, that cat. That was what I was gonna say. Okay. So fine. So is there anything, I'll just ask it again, but I have already interrupted you on that one or taken it. But yeah, so what video uh, or something makes you laugh uncontrollably?
1: Um, Well, I'm not sure if we'll still be talking about this when this podcast airs, but the video of the lawyer on Zoom with the cat filter who says, (laughs) I'm really here. I'm not a cat. That has made me laugh so many times. I'll be innocently scrolling on social media. it pops up i laugh again it's it's wholesome fun it's what we needed as a country honestly it's, it really it, is
0: i yeah i just even now it's just this he was
1: so sad like, <laughs> so well i think it's funny because it was so like earnest yeah. you know
0: yeah. the eyes and the eyes just oh, looking down in the
1: beginning where he's like what and then, <laughs> you know, the cat eyes oh it's so funny
0: Well, what cracked me up because I watched it so many times, I was analyzing every piece of it. You know the dude in the top right.
1: Uh Like, did you watch
0: him yet? Have you paid attention to him?
1: Uh, Not close attention.
0: Okay, so you have to. And anyone listening, just you'll have to do this later. So, because I told my mom and someone else, and basically, he looks like he's asleep, almost. (laughs) You know, because he's kind of looking at his phone or something. And just right when the guy goes, "What? Whatever," I'm. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. Oh my
1: god. Oh my god.
0: Then the guy just does this smirk. That's price. <laughs> now it cracks me up. It's like, la- it's like layers, right? Oh my gosh. So Even though I did ruin your answer, I'm, I'll leave that in. But then we have your real answer, your answer too. But yeah, it's great. I mean, that was the best video. My boss actually it was, sent it. it like what so a cool good. boss. That is send. a good
1: boss. Yeah. A good
0: boss. Just know what the people want. Great workplace know? culture. Yeah, it is. So then we were like, eh, well. <laughs> uh, um, All right. And the last one, who inspires you right now?
1: Jen O'Malley Dillon, Biden's campaign manager. Um, we would have these weekly staff calls where we would get on Zoom once the pandemic started. And she would give us a campaign update and give us a lot of insight and be she was like, it was a perfect balance between hopeful and forthright and steady and confident. She was very Mm. level-headed and she was very caring about our safety. And I also really appreciated that she was a mom who was doing a badass job. I don't even know if I want to be a mom, but it always gives me hope to see somebody who I really look up to independently for everything that they're doing at work also having this huge other part of their life and it just gives me it gives me so much hope Mm -hmm. so she inspires me every time I think about her I'm like I need I need to I need to step it up I need I need to be like Jen we can do it
0: that's great that's awesome well Lucia it's been amazing talking to you i really enjoyed this this. so
1: fun good
0: yeah so is there anything you want people to you want to promote like you want people to do i mean i know you're looking we'll see if you're still looking for a job at the time if they look you up but yeah where where do people go to find you
1: uh twitter would be best my twitter is at lucia nunez six and just the digit six i might make a tiktok later don't hold your breath um (laughs) <laughs> I might not, but just just Twitter, Lucia Nunez 6 on Twitter. Okay,
0: cool. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes and online. But thanks so much.
1: Thank you. This has been amazing. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for joining me this week. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. The music you're probably moving to by now is by Joe Mafia. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A, And Rob Medkey is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let us know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work at More Than Work Pod on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Give us a follow. Or visit our website at robbiased.com. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. We'll be back next week with another guest. In the meantime, while being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.